What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another Basement Binge episode. You saw the title. We're talking about Inception as we continue through Nolan November, which I'm extremely excited about. Bear with me. I have had a cold. That's why this episode was delayed a little bit. So that's why I sound so weird. Let's get right into it here with the two cents. Two cents, if you are new here to the Basement Binge, welcome. But two cents, what it is, is it's a spoiler-free reaction to the film. So if you somehow have not seen Inception... One, I've got a screen pass for you that you can use to then go and and watch it for free, but this is your spoiler-free thoughts about it, so nothing will be ruined. So let's get started with two cents. Inception is just a remarkable film to talk about. I remember when this film took the world by storm. I remember being in high school and all my friends wouldn't stop talking about it. Maybe it was middle school, I don't remember. But they would always say something like, oh, it's a movie that you really have to pay attention to to get it. And then it was all about swapping stories about how someone we watched the film with wasn't paying attention and didn't get it. And then we had to explain it to them. That was kind of the big deal, like the bragging points of seeing this film. That was the selling point, was a mind boggling aspect of it. I remember having multiple watch parties with my friends just for Inception. Each time I watched it, my mind was blown. So coming back to it years later is really exciting because this was a film that we I talked about with my friends consistently. It's exciting to come back now as my appreciation for filmmaking grows to see Nolan at his most original while also his most successful, I would say. Inception is also just one of my favorite genre films. It's a heist, but it's also full of all the idiosyncrasies of one of my favorite directors in Christopher Nolan. He understands the requirements of this genre and then flips them into something new while also using those same rules to allow us as the viewer to understand everything that's going on after he flips it. To quote my new favorite book, The Nolan Variations by Tom Schoen, he takes the rules of the genre and flips them. He ticks the boxes of the studio while smuggling personal material past them. I've always loved Inception, like I mentioned, but as I get older, I love it more and more for the rich and rewarding emotion that it's absolutely full of. 
it's such an immersive film to watch. So many different ways to be immersed in the story from the dream aspects with very original and exciting sci-fi concepts to the great characters and their personal motivations and emotions, the hope that it's all going to work out, the cathartic story, our own catharsis through the catharsis of the characters, both Cobb and Fisher, the great action. Each element of this film is captivating. The production design and visual effects are incredible. They were both inspired by so many other films that came before and continue to inspire films on into the future, but it all still feels completely unique and original here. It's an impressive film from the technical and production merits, but more importantly, a film that is both exciting and rewarding to watch and rewatch. This episode is going to be filled with a lot of quotes and plagiarism of other individuals, but I'll always tell you who it is. It won't be flat out plagiarism. Specifically, Mike Apps here on Letterboxd. I will link his account in the, in the show notes. His reviews on the site I love to read, particularly about Christopher Nolan. I feel like he's a resident expert on Christopher Nolan, particularly Inception. He watches it like every year and always has incredible insights about it. There's tons of people on Letterboxd I love. So if you're not on that site, linked in the show notes. Anyway, this is what Mike Apps said. Inception gives back to you whatever you bring to it and quite possibly my favorite movie of all time. And for me, it all goes back to the line, his subconscious is militarized. It's a baffling, weird, unique, layered, loaded line, just like the film. And I felt like that was a perfect summary of two cents. I don't have anything else to add. It's an incredible film. If somehow you haven't seen it, let me know. Send me an email. Contact me on any avenue of social media linked below, and I'll get you that screen pass that you can watch this film for free. Additionally, if you want to get a screen pass, or if you just want to help out the show, please leave a review on Podchaser, podchaser.com slash binge. It's just a great site to have all the reviews for the show collected. It really helps out the show a ton. If you're enjoying the show, I'd appreciate the review. It's absolutely free. Podchaser.com slash the basement binge. Let's move on to the other segments here. Pick your poison. Here at the basement binge, pick your poison is the rating scale. Rating it out of four options, all based on the bingeability of the film or how I would choose to interact with it after rewatch. Bottom of the list, never watch it again. Very straightforward. Above that is to stream it. It's on a service I'm already paying for. I'm looking for something to watch. When I'm browsing, I'd be willing to click on it. Above that is to rent it in the right moment, pay a few dollars for it. Above that is to buy it, own it, you know, digitally, physically, watch it as many times as you can. Then it's obvious here. I think this is, you're going to see a trend here for Nolan November. This is definitely a buy. This is a film that I'm going to continue to rewatch. I've already rewatched it many times. It's one of the first films that I bought when I started buying films, you know, when I was an adult and I was living on my own. I remember I was sitting in my apartment wanting to watch a movie. And this was one of those movies that I sought out and bought intentionally uh, right from the get go. I've had it for years. I'm going to continue to enjoy it for years. Love it. Very simple segment for this month. Let's move on to the next one here. Live up. This is where I talk about my expectations in the film, kind of the legacy it has, and if it's able to live up to that legacy, live up to the expectations I have, whether it's coming to a film for the first time or coming back to it on rewatch. How can you adequately describe your expectations about Inception coming back to it for a rewatch? So to quote Tom Schoen from the Nolan Variations, he always knew that to raise the emotional stakes, the journey into the dream world also had to be a journey into Cobb's past. And talking to Mike on Letterboxd, he also mentioned this topic initially. He said, also, you could talk about how Nolan smartly crafts powerful subplots about love and loss to contemplate the spectacle. Cobb is the A-plot, while Fisher is the B-plot. Ariadne even says, as we're going deeper into Fisher's subconscious, B-plot, we're going deeper into Cobb's main plot. We want Fisher to work out his daddy issues and find peace so that Cobb can work out his personal issues with Maul and return to his kids. It's impressive to see these things wound up in the film that maybe I didn't understand before. Everyone loved Inception because it was mind-blowing. You know, the dream within the dream aspect and the, and the absolute newness of the idea. But then you see so many powerful things wrapped in that cool idea. I'm going to talk about that a lot more and fall in. 
but this really is an emotional journey full of catharsis more than anything else. It's actually something that Leonardo DiCaprio suggested to Christopher Nolan. To quote Christopher Nolan, he said, the emotional story was what Leo very much responded to and wanted to expand on. So a lot of the rewriting I did with him, I was working on a more superficial version of the project. Superficial may be overstating it because all the story elements were in there, but I was still trying to approach it from a genre perspective. Leo encouraged me and demanded of me to push it in a more character-based direction, more about their relationships. And it works so well in service of the story. Inception is a really cool idea, having a dream within a dream within a dream. And then that would be cool for the first time. You know, that'd be kind of mind-blowing when you see it in the theater. But it wouldn't be a film that would be rewarding to rewatch because the newness of it is lost, where now on rewatch, you're able to come back and experience newness and richness every single time because it's not just about dreams within dreams and that cool idea. It's about characters. It's about their relationships. It's about their emotional journey. And that journey just happens through dreams within dreams. So while that idea of dreaming is exciting and really rewarding and really thrilling and captivating to engage in, it's rewarding to watch because it's an emotional journey that we can be bought into. For example, the train that drives through the city and the cars. Chris said that he wanted the train to show the danger of Cobb's subconscious. It was always, to me in the past, just an obstacle that was in the way of the characters getting to the next MacGuffin or whatever it was. This time, it's a train of guilt and fear that just out of nowhere comes barreling through the efforts of this team, making everything more dangerous and less predictable. As Ariane says, his subconscious is bursting with guilt. We see that guilt bursting into everything that they do. Where before it was just like, oh, wow, yeah, we got to have it, it elevated the tension. Yes, the tension is elevated and the risk increases. But it also continually reminds you the sad underlying guilt that is he's experiencing consistently. It's impressive how less mature me was able to appreciate this. And now a more mature me is able to appreciate those same things, but with richer meaning. So did I really give you what my clear expectations for Inception were? No, just that I was going to love it. I mean, it's Inception. If you love this film, you know you love it. I was just excited to come back and find new things about it and, and love different elements of it, like you do with any film that you love and rewatch, but to see the richness in each one of these cool ideas. To understand how Inception works as way more than just a cool idea. I guess that was my expectation. And did it live up to it? It absolutely succeeded it. None of us are surprised. And it was interesting on Instagram. If you want to contribute to these polls and contribute to the episodes, follow me on Instagram. But I put out some polls and asked some questions about Inception. I put out two polls for Inception, asking people to rate it out of 10. The, the first one that didn't have as many votes on it was about a seven out of 10. The second one, which had a lot more votes was about an eight out of 10. So either way, there's just a clear love for Christopher Nolan. Then I also asked, is Inception Christopher Nolan's most creative? Yes or no? 63% of the people that voted said yes. So clearly there's a large favor that this is Christopher Nolan's most creative, most unique. But then I asked the follow-up question, well, is this his most ambitious Inception or Tenant? And 55% of people voted for Inception over Tenant. So clearly there's a love for this film that many, many people have. Now, seeing the people, these are people, you know, fellow, fellow movie review podcasters to Kate and Kelton to other friends that I just have, like people who wouldn't be caught up in like a dense conversation about film, but still love Inception and have things to say about it. It's amazing to me how this film in its outlandish ideas 
that are super creative and really ambitious and incredibly unique just latched on to the zeitgeist and has maintained itself in there consistently. Like I said, I remember being in school with my friends where this was a consistent discussion topic for months. Just incredible film, incredible legacy that it has. Let's move on to the next segment here, bench points. These are Easter eggs, details, other things that I just want to mention, trivia, behind the scenes, whatever it is, things I want to mention about the film. And this doesn't really have so much to do with the film, but I also just want to mention this and it it didn't really fit and live up. But with the idea about the film having a legacy, when I was in school, something that really drove me nuts is I would have not just friends, but but people consistently throughout school that would talk about, oh, you got to watch Inception and pay attention to understand it and almost like had pride in that they were able to understand the complexity of it and maybe you weren't. And they always had a story about how someone they knew wasn't able to or whatever. But then a trend that I saw all over the place, especially in my school, is the incorrect use of the word inception. For example, they, someone would have a picture and then there would be the same picture within the picture and then the picture within the picture and so on and so forth. Things within things and they would call it like pictureception or, oh, that's inception. And it drove me crazy because I just, even from that moment, I knew, hey, you claim to know this thing without even knowing what the word is. Inception isn't something within something. Inception is the planting of an idea in someone's head. And it just drove me not bonkers. So I just, I got to mention that. I don't know why. So moving on from that, let's talk about actual details in the film. That lecture room that Cobb goes and meets his father-in-law in to meet Ariadne is actually the same lecture hall that Christopher Nolan took class in at, at UCL when he was going to school. Also in the film, the big boahs that we get are just single two steps of Edith Pilas' song. You know, the song they used to wake up. There are just single two tones of the intro of that song slowed down incredible use of it speaking of the score this score had the largest brass section ever assembled for a film it had six french horns six bass trombones six tenor trombones and four tubas for comparison the last samurai another great film with a great score only had two tubas just two tubas that's it continuing on the idea of music and the score edith piaf is the singer of that french song used to wake everyone up i'm not even going to try and name the song i'm just going to continue to refer to it as a french song but the song they listen to to cue it's time for the kick to wake up is sang by edith piaf well marion cotillard who plays mall cobb's wife had just played edith piaf in her last film right before she was cast for inception and it actually caused christopher nolan to question if he should still use that song but he ended up keeping it now, to go into more of the production of things uh, and Christopher Nolan's relentless dedication to in-camera wizardry, we all know about the rotating corridor, right? An actual physical set that they built that rotated that Joseph Gordon-Levitt fought in. But did you know that there was also a vertical corridor that was built to match it so that they could film in zero gravity? So they built two corridors, one oriented horizontally that would rotate one oriented vertically to film zero gravity scenes. They built a lot of impressive things for this film. One of the cool things that they built was actually a horizontal elevator, right? That that outside shot we get of the elevator sliding because of the explosion. So that was actually a horizontal elevator shaft that they used for that scene. But to make it look like the explosion was going down because of gravity, right? Because in the film, there's an explosion in zero gravity at the bottom of the elevator that forces it to slide up. So to have the explosion and the blast from it match gravity, you know, that it would be extending down instead of out to the side, they actually just had multiple smaller explosions to make it like it was falling behind, you know, one big continuous explosion when it was just smaller ones building on top of each other. Genius. Now, in that corridor, that rotating one and the horizontal or the 
the vertical one, Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually did all but one of his stunts. All the other stunts he did himself. And it's just impressive how everything in this film is captured in camera, right? The rotating corridor and hotel room, which I already mentioned, making it rain in LA during the day and having to physically block out the sun to make it look overcast. Driving an actual train through cars on a city street. It wasn't an actual train, but they built a train on top of a semi so that they could drive it through actual cars. A real van that's launched off a bridge and falls into water. Another van set that they had with the actors inside of it that could also rotate 360 degrees so they could film them with gravity being affected differently. Building a giant concrete layer in the mountains of Canada like you're a James Bond villain, and then blowing it up for real and combining that explosion with a 42-foot miniature you built that you had to blow up twice. So you blew it up and had to rebuild it and blow it up again uh, and combining those together to get the concluding explosion. Shooting water through an incredible set you built of this ancient Japanese architecture that you built a set and then shooting water cannons through the windows, right? Just incredible dedication to doing things for real and it it pays off it looks that way in the film and this is something continuously know for christopher nolan and i'm just it's impressive that they give him that level of control and it it is so worth it i'm not going to get a huge into the discussion about cgi versus practical effects but it, it feels different and adds to the sense of reality that the film is portraying even when it's a dream it feels real it feels like it offers the same level of importance and it's because of the way things are captured But knowing more about how this story was written and what it means for Christopher Nolan's, it makes sense that he would have that much care for it. The script actually took about nine years to complete. You can tell that it's full of things Christopher Nolan was. It was actually a script that was greenlit by Warner Brothers to do after Insomnia, before Batman Begins. But the script wasn't finished and he didn't want to write it as an assignment. So he waited, went on to make Batman Begins and continually worked on the script for about nine years Because it was a concept he first came up as a college student as he experienced lucid dreaming. And since that idea, the film has been a passion project for them and he wasn't going to let, you know, the chance to make a change that he wanted to do it right. And so he waited. And in researching the writing, it just, he's a genius, all right? So clearly this idea of dreams and having dream layers, Christopher Nolan knew it was going to require a lot of explanation and exposition. That was the initial idea, not a heist. The initial idea was dream layers and so immediately in the need to have explanation and exposition he went and started writing it as a heist movie to allow for those exposition dumps the tension of a good heist film is in the exposition we receive earlier that sounds like a lot of fun that is the plan and then how things go contrary to that plan that's the drama of it so to speak so it's just an incredible understanding of filmmaking to know how to use specific genres and the tools within them to match the story that you want to tell and find the tools needed to tell it very impressive. There are some other personal things here, other examples I want to give of the personal touch Christopher Nolan put in. The last snow layer that I mentioned earlier is intended to resemble James Bond. Christopher Nolan talks about he wanted the last scene to be full of big cinematic action and stunt, and for him that means James Bond. So they built a concrete layer atop a snow mountain with a whole army ready to defend it just like a James Bond movie. And then the way that Tom Hardy's Eames skis around Thor and the bad guys, it it feels very, very James Bond-ish. You know, a small snippet of something Christopher Nolan loves. When designing Limbo and the the look of it, it took nine months with the visual effects teams to design what it was going to look like because Christopher Nolan wanted to look like a glacier of buildings breaking off into the ocean. And it worked. 
The film also took six months of principal photography and shooting in five different cities. It was a big globe-traveling adventure, actually in Paris and Los Angeles and England and, and all over the place. Japan, Tokyo, they, they did a lot of, of work shooting this film. Of course, the practical effects that I mentioned, even things like real explosions of debris and paper around Leo and Elliot Page in a real Paris street, like getting permission to blow things up there um, is impressive. The work he did with Hans Zimmer with the score. Before a single frame was shot for the film, he worked with Hans Zimmer on creating the score, but never really showed him footage of what was being filmed, instead focusing on the feelings and ideas of dreaming instead. To quote Christopher Nolan, he said, I think of any of the scores we worked on, it was the one that was most about ideas rather than specifics, and so I never really told him it should be this or it should be that. It was much more about ideas of time, ideas of dreams. It's a very popular soundtrack of the films that I've made, but it's a very eclectic soundtrack. There are a lot of different things going on, a lot of different moods, whereas Interstellar and Dunkirk are very unified. All of our conversations were really about mood rather than about film music, which isn't always the case. Quite often you're being very specific about genre, about what each guy is going to do. All of those, how are we going to do something different? How can we react to something? Questions. Or be influenced by something. Hans had a terrific team that he put together. He called it a band, some of whom, like Lauren Balfe, were composers in their own right. I didn't have a brief for Hans so much as we had 10 pieces of temp music that we made, just the form of the soundtrack, what it might become. And then it was a question of, okay, let's be specific. What is this really? What is the idea? And then he went on to crack it. Close quote. Now, if I might add, Lauren Balfe is a genius inclusion. I don't know if he's the one who is responsible for this, what work he did on the score. Um, but the film's entire score is actually in subdivisions or multiplications of the French song so that the song can be slipped in wherever it's needed without it being an interruption. This is something that Lauren Balfe is actually a wizard at. Just look at the Mission Impossible Fallout score, which is probably one of my all-time favorite scores. It was almost entirely composed in 5-4 time to be able to slip in the Mission Impossible theme whenever he wanted, which is just absolutely impressive. I love that score. So part of me and my love for Lorne Balfe thinks that he was included in that. So they did all this work on the soundtrack, right? On the score and, and the message of ideas. And Hans was, you know, trying to generate those ideas and, and feedback between Chris and Hans and so on and so forth. So when Hans first showed Chris the song Time, a phenomenal song, it was over the phone. They hung up the phone and Chris turned to his editor, Lee Smith, and said, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And then they went on to generate even more and more. And it wasn't even the complete song. It was a section of it. Hans talked about how he wasn't sure where to go after that. And it, it's really interesting as you listen to the score, as beautiful as it is, how it really is eclectic, how each song really feels a lot different while having a unified mood to it, uh, a unified idea. It really, and I know I'm repeating the words of them, but it's just because it's the, it's the truth. That's how you would describe it. Now, to just briefly talk about the, music. One last thing, the song used for waking up the French song that I keep mentioning, like I mentioned at the, be the top of binge points, Christopher Nolan was worried about keeping the song in. And so Hans actually convinced him to keep it in. And I, it's impressive how it matches the story so well. The translation of part of the song is no, absolutely nothing. No, I regret nothing. Not the good things that have happened, nor the bad. It's all the same to me. It is incredible how well that matches the story. Now, we can't conclude binge points without talking about the last scene, which we're going to talk about more in Fall In, but let's just, what does the end of Inception mean? 
That was the actual question I asked on Instagram. A few people responded. Someone said, Jeff Dumas said, it doesn't matter if the top is spinning. Cop got his happy ending. And I completely agree. That's the deal. It does not matter. The last scene was so meticulously crafted between Chris Nolan and his editor, Lee Smith, they went frame by frame through the footage of that top to pick a specific wobble. They chose a wobble later that happened, but then went back to this one because it proves nothing through the laws of physics. In fact, it's just a wobble that the top recovers from. Legitimately, in the footage that was filmed, it's a wobble that the top recovers from, but also within the laws of physics. The ambiguity is intended. In typical Nolan fashion, he likes to leave the audience thinking about something and discussing something. But more than that, more than just a fun idea to tease the audience with, it's because it doesn't really matter. The catharsis isn't in if the top topples or not, but the cob walked away. He isn't looking at the top anymore. The lasting shot as it pans from Cobb with his kids to the top is that the top is alone, is that it's not being watched over by someone with a gun to their head. He walked away. He got his happy ending. And that is what matters to him, not the top. He's able to leave it behind. He's able to leave behind the dreams and the guilt and the uncertainty and just accept the goodness of that reality because dreaming or not, it's real to him and he's able to accept that. And that is what's cathartic and that is what is the emotional ending of the film. But if we are going to speculate, let me give my, excuse the pun, two cents. Longtime listeners from the show know from the second episode ever released with Cade and Kelton, the other two original tryhouse, Cade said this in reply to that Instagram question, what does the ending of Inception mean? He said, the top means nothing. Check his wedding ring. And he's right. If you don't know, Cobb's totem is his wedding ring, not the top. The top is his wife's totem. While it may work, I'm not here to define the rules of Christopher Nolan's dreams and how the totem works. We have a very limited understanding of that. What I do know is that outside of flashbacks, he only wears the, the wedding ring when he's dreaming. He is not wearing the wedding ring at the end of the film. More importantly than that, even more Trump than the wedding ring is this. Michael Caine, who plays Cobb's father-in-law, in a speech he was giving at the film for summer screen at Somerset Home London, in August of 2019, he was asked about the ending. And he said, when I got the script of Inception, I was a bit puzzled by it. And I said to Christopher Nolan, I don't understand where the dream is. I said, when is it the dream and when is it reality? Nolan said, well, when you're in the scene, it's reality. So get that. If I'm in it, it's reality. If I'm not in it, it's a dream. So with that, with the ring not being on his finger, it is reality. There you go. It is, you can have the complete catharsis now knowing that not only is it an emotional reality, it is an actual reality for Cobb and his family and that it is a cathartic release and ending for him and for his family. Great ending. Let's move on to the next segment here, least and likes. I do not have a least favorite scene. I am sorry if that bothers you. I am trying. I enjoy these films so much. and I know that everybody doesn't. In fact, let me, let me talk about that. Ali, who is on the episode, The Nightmare Before Christmas, he is not a huge fan of Christopher Nolan, which is totally fine. Not everybody has to be. I'm not saying everybody does. Everybody has their taste in film for a reason. He, his, his main dislike is that he's seen the ideas in these films expressed better. And so for him, Paprika, an anime, which you should definitely check out, is a better version of Inception. So if you like Inception, follow Lee's advice, go watch Paprika. 
Now I disagree. I love Christopher Nolan and I love his films and that's also great. So I do not have a least favorite scene. I genuinely am trying to look for them because I feel bad in saying that I don't have one, but I don't. This film flows so well. It has great tempo, a great edit. I don't have a least favorite scene. But I asked people on Instagram, what are your favorite scenes? The two most common one was the van. That's all that people really said. They didn't really specify too much about the van. The other one was the corridor. Then I also asked, what dream level is your favorite? The city, the corridor, the snow base, or limbo? The city and limbo both got about 9% of the votes each. The snow base, including my own vote, which I added to it, got about 30-ish percent. The corridor got the most votes at about 40%. You know that my favorite dream level is the snow base. My favorite scene is that snow base. From the music, the rising tension, the emotional complexity of that scene for so many characters, Tom Hardy playing loose Eames as James Bond skiing around, throwing C4 and thumbs up at bad guys, an incredible set, an incredible set piece. That snow base is my favorite scene. Has been forever. Let's move on to the last segment here, Fall In. This is where I talk about the emotions, the takeaways, the theme, the moral of the story, if you will. Pull aways from the film that I really like. And I want to talk about the line first. There's two things I want to talk about. The line, positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time, is the first thing I want to talk about. All of Nolan's films before this have been about broken individuals being broken. It's nightmarish in their conclusion, filling us with existential dread. Now the endings have changed and they're hopeful. Even The Dark Knight Rises is a complete change in tone in its ending from the two films before. It's optimistic and full of love. Each ending of the film of Christopher Nolan's films, each ending of Christopher Nolan's films after this deals with the goodness and reward of personal connection, the importance and blessing of it. This is where that started. I think one of the many reasons is that this was the first time he was away from his wife, Emma Thomas. She's been the producer on all of his films, which also I have to correct myself. I called her Emma Smith and I think the prestige episode. I apologize for that. Anyway, she could not be on set the whole time. This was the first time she had to be away with their kids. They were very young. It was the longest that Chris had ever been away from his family. He had been working on each of his films with his wife and with his kids. They had always made it a family affair. They were able to stay on the set in a mountain or trailer or whatever. They were there with him, but this time they weren't able to be. So Chris was away from his family. And just like Cobb's subconscious emotion comes into the mission, you see the exact same thing happen here with Chris. The desire to complete the job and be with his family it seeps into the story completely. And I love that. Also, what a great line. Positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. What a great takeaway. What a more powerful ending. I praised the ending of The Dark Knight. But I think an ending that we remember more is The Dark Knight Rises. I praised the ending of The Prestige. Which I guess kind of is hopeful, but also depressing. In it, well, actually, that is a perfect example. Comparable to that is the cathartic release of wrong things being made right as best they can with the prestige and with Inception. But here it's played hopefully, where the prestige is filled with a lot of dread while also being hopeful. Great line. Positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. All right, let's talk about the second idea here Cobb's guilt. As Ariadne points out, your guilt defines her. It powers her. If we are going to succeed at this, you're going to have to forgive yourself. The destruction and danger of Cobb's subconscious is that guilt. It's easy for him to know when he is in reality 
because life is full of guilt. And that would be gone when you're dreaming. But as his wife and those memories creep back into the dream, that guilt returns, blurring the line between reality and dreams. You see why he's slipping. Which is even sadder when you add that his wedding ring is his totem. Like I said, outside of flashbacks, he only wears it when he's dreaming, because in his dreams that is when he can be together. But without any magic explanation, it is something that he just has to overcome. Like Ariadne says, he has to forgive himself. I don't have a magic solution for that. It's just something that he has to do. And something that I noticed really interesting about this time, an idea or theory that I have, is that Maul actually incepted herself before Cobb ever did. She incepted in herself the limbo was real. We see her put her totem in the safe without it spinning. She locked it away within herself. If the totem isn't spinning, limbo is real. You have to be in reality when it's not spinning. So she never wanted to leave because she did something to convince herself where they were and their memories they were having together was real. Cobb undid that by spinning the top and flipping her idea over that it was a dream and they needed to leave. So Cobb may have had a part to play in her death because of that, but ultimately it was her choice. He couldn't choose for her. He was trying to save her from her other choice to stay in the dream forever. And while that will never make losing anyone easier, it's something we have to realize that that was their choice. That he tried to do something good and maybe it had some negative repercussions, but ultimately it was her choice. To quote Alfred from The Dark Knight Rises, you found someone and you lost them, but that's all part of living. And sadly, he's right. It doesn't make it easy, but it's true. Cobb got to live with Maul and grow old with her. And that is what makes this sadness so much deeper, that this is a young loss with so much of life to be lived without her. But it's also after 50 years of memories together. I can't even comprehend that, thinking about the loss of my wife now and the guilt no matter the circumstances that that would drive me, and the sadness of that relationship ending too soon, but also the sadness at the end of a relationship that is now over, after too long. Man, how dense is that heartache? And to tie it all together is the song, the French song that I mentioned earlier, the translation. I regret nothing, not the good things that have happened, nor the bad. It is all the same to me. And I don't want to say that and take away from the bad and say that, oh, the bad, we should just accept the bad. No, I don't have that mentality. Bad is bad and it's hurtful and it's heartbreaking and loss and death is a tragedy and should be treated as nothing less than that. But we have to take them with the good and be grateful for what we have. Thanksgiving is coming up. That was kind of intentional. The word gratitude and grateful appears nowhere in the script. That just came out. But it's true. And, it, and it's one of those things that kind of when you say, you hear it for the first time, you're like, wow, that's true. <laughs> anyway, and kind of gloating over here, that's not the intent. Um, anyway, back on the idea. Good and bad are both going to happen. Good and bad have happened over the past year. I personally can look in my own life and in the lives of my families, how the pandemic and all that came with it has changed everything for good 
and for bad. Bad things have come about it. Good things have come about it. We have to accept both. In the situation of lost, there's going to be a lot of guilt. There's going to be a lot of heartache. There's going to be a lot of sadness. But that's a part of living. And so we take that with the good part of that. The reason that it's so sad that someone is gone is because of how much we loved them. That's why it's sad. I can't speak for everyone, but we don't mourn when someone we never met dies. We mourn at its, our deepest when someone we love deeply has died. And so we have to take that with the good and regret nothing. It's all the same to me because they are the same. That, that mourning is love persevering, to quote Vision. And I think that that's a powerful message of the film. So, wow, Inception, holy smokes, it's packed full of incredible things. So if you're, you're feeling guilty for something this Thanksgiving season, be grateful for the good as well. Take them all together. Let them all be the same to you, I guess. That was an totally unplanned ending to the segment Fallen, but I think it worked quite well. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for enjoying Nolan November with me. This has been a blast. I've loved Nolan November. I love this film. If you want to contribute, you can follow me on Letterboxd. Leave some comments on the reviews I have there. You can follow me on Instagram. Contribute to the stories or comment on posts. Let me know what you think about Interstellar and Dunkirk and Tenet coming up. I love Tenet. I'm really intrigued in what any of you think about Tenet, good or bad. So please, please, please let me know. I'd love to include your thoughts on that episode because I'm very excited for that one. Anyway... This is The Basement Binge. My name is Harrison. This is Noel November, and that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.